Welcome back, all you friendly, bright-eyed potential felons. My name is Adam. My name is Jack, and this is Schmeepcast, brought to you by cake. It's like bread, but fun. It's very fun bread. Very frosted bread. You may notice that we have a bit of a different setup today. Uh, We're doing the podcast at our cousin's house, because I'm dog-sitting. We're dog-sitting. Yes, we... (laughs) Because we're both here. We're we're in the same house. Yeah. Uh, So we're actually doing this from across the table this time. There's not two of us calling. Uh, But today, uh, we are celebrating a very special day. Uh, It's Father's Day. Not right now, but a couple days ago. Four days ago, yeah. Yeah, so we're a little bit late, but we'd like to celebrate it here. Uh, So to all the fathers out there. All the dads. Yeah. They're, they're doing a great job. This one's for you. Mm-hmm. Um, just as the, the topical part of the, the section, we're just going to... We were doing our top five father figures in pretty much any media, whether it be video games, TV shows, movies, anything like that. Um, and this is... It's obviously just... It could not be farther from a definitive list because there are just so many dads in everything. So these are just either characters that resonated with us from like a specific show or something like that, or we think kind of embodies the the role of like a father or something like that yeah um yeah so father uh, is a is a title yeah um so we're gonna start off our lists at number five like Mm -hmm. we usually do um would you like to begin i'm going first yeah go for it my number five um so i wanted to make my list like i wanted to cover like all the bases i just that was easy it was very easy for movies games were a little hard and then i struggled the most with like tv shows i feel like there just recently there's been like a focus in tv of like dads being like the main characters a lot of their stories being a result of them having bad parents i don't know like most of the tv shows that i've watched recently have been like mainly about that but one clear exception to that is terry cruz's character terry in brooklyn 99 he's just an excellent father if you know terry cruz you know he's the guy with just like who's the most built guy of all time he is a manly man from the uh, from like the Old Spice commercials, but exactly despite like him being like a manly man, he has uh, two daughters, and um, he is like the perfect example of showing like even though he's just like this absolutely shredded dude, um, he's like good at showing his children how to be like vulnerable, and he's he's like emotional and like it transports or translates to his role as like the um, one of the head detectives in the um, Brooklyn Nine Nine department. And uh, he, he works as like this father figure for the whole unit. And he just is teaching everybody lessons and he's always thinking about his kids. And that's kind of always like his cutaway jokes where he's just like talking about like his adorable little babies or something like that when they're like seven, eight years old or something. Um, I think he's one of the best father figures on TV right now. And yeah, it's just like going against the typical like manly ideals of what a father should like be teaching or whatever mm-hmm. it's a really interesting kind of dynamic yeah on the opposite trend i've been watching a lot of media lately uh whether it be you know D shows or things like that that have very good father figures you know for the most part um like that's mainly of what i've been ingesting lately and uh that's not really a huge tie-in to what i have right now but that's something that i've noticed uh one, my number five is, you might not have seen this coming actually, uh, Ethan Mars from Heavy Rain. Hmm. Yeah, he's, I've played some of that game, but from the little amount that I have, like, a lot of mine are video game based, because that's like most of the media that I ingest. Uh, but Ethan, that guy, like, 
he loses his kid for half a second. Like, parents make mistakes. That happens. Uh, he was being a fantastic father up until that point. And then he still is after that. Like, he manages to go forward and, like, do crazy trials just to save his son. So, like, yeah. doing all that stuff, it really, like, puts it in perspective, like... <laughs> what would your dad do that for you? <laughs> well, like with Ethan, it's it's an interesting situation because like I feel like he does he gets like roasted by his like his ex his wife to his ex wife for like they act she kind of acts as if it's his fault that the first kid in um, who, who dies he runs out um, and gets hit by a car that one it's I guess almost Ethan's fault kind of but he like what like looks away for like a half a second That's in a busy thing. mall and the kid just disappears yeah and then he full sprints like around the entire mall and just isn't able to get to him in time mm-hmm. uh, well I, I think he he like dives into the street to grab the kid and just like both of them get hit by a car or something like uh-huh. that and then the so, kid dies so and, like and he's... then the, the next one uh gets disappears I guess after he has like a, a blackout so even that like yeah it's not like really even him being like neglectful it's just that he has like a, yeah. a mental kind of it's problem a, that hasn't been completely like medicated at that point mm-hmm. and then it's mainly even, out of kids control you know yeah and then after that he literally sacrifices everything to try to get the kid back so mm-hmm. would you drive up the street for any reason would you drive like up the highway the, like fully would you drive generally <laughs> the highway completely like loaded like rush hour and he's just driving the opposite way yeah it's crazy yeah. chops off a finger of your choice as the player you chop off his finger yeah yeah um crazy crazy stuff uh so moving on to number four my that's actually similar to my number four mine is this is the one on my list that is from a video game and i actually heavily debated putting this guy on the list um and that's joel from the last of us and like obviously the the initial like the first segment of the game, the opening, is him, the very beginning of the zombie apocalypse, trying to do everything he can to save his daughter um, uh, from, like, all the craziness that's going on. And unfortunately, like, he fails. And then eventually he connects with Ellie, who just becomes, like, this stand-in for his daughter. And at this point, he is, like, just... Like, as the story continues, he just becomes dead set on, like, doing everything he can to protect her. And, like, all of his fatherly instincts that kind of... That almost helped him save his daughter in the beginning kind of come to fruition here and it's interesting because like the the one thing that made me like throughout the entire story he does absolutely everything he can to protect ellie and even his daughter who he just didn't like it was impossible for him to do enough for her but um there is the one decision at the end brief spoiler warning for the original last of us game uh click like 20 seconds ahead if you don't want to hear this um Joel based the entire story, Ellie is, she was bit by a zombie and did not get infected and they're trying to bring her across the, um, the country to make the cure and at the end, the, um, doctors are like, we can make the cure but she will die and then he basically, Ellie is totally cool with that but he steals her from the hospital and runs out with her, um, and stops her from making the sacrifice and I think that that is a that is a bad father moment and it is horrible um that he would he would do that um but i think in spite of that it was fatherly instincts that like forced him to do that i think in in my personal opinion i think it's a it's a good father moment it's not a good 
person I don't, moment. I don't know. The way, I, the way I see it is that if he's doing that and, like, trying to save the child rather than the world, that feels more he's focused on that person. more Like, but, it, it sees it as, like, a fatherly type of moment. But, like, I, I don't think, like, fatherhood is necessarily all about making sure the kid survives. It's about making sure the, the child, like does what they want with their life and okay. allowing them to like make that kind of decision and she made that decision and while she was unconscious she he beat up a bunch of and killed i guess a bunch of doctors and just stole her and yeah, then that's he, not a good father and then he at the end uh lied to her and said that like um she just like her immunity meant like nothing in terms of the cure and i think aside from like that which even is guided by him making sure that he doesn't make the same mistake from the first um section of the story is the one thing that almost drew me back from taking him off the list, but I do think in the end he is a good, like, father figure. Mm-hmm. So, yep, that's my number four. Yeah, my number four. Uh, so we just went from Heavy Rain to The Last of Us, and now let's move forward to Octodad. Nice. Now, Octodad is, he seems like a joke. He seems like a comedic part of this list. Uh, Octodad is actually just trying to survive and be a good father. He is a good Samaritanly parent. Uh, he, he has a night. He has a great relationship with his wife, uh, his his kids. Though they don't really understand what their father says, they think that it's good advice. Uh, he moves around in quite a goofy fashion, sure, but he does everything he can in his power to keep his children in a good, like, in a, in good schooling, in just a nice well-constructed nuclear family you know it's like a it's a functional situation they got going on the only problem is that there's a chef out there trying to cook his 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 beans up trying to cook his beans up and that's a big issue for octodad so the entire game is about him trying to get back to his family and then they accept him at the end for who he is yeah yeah that's a great it's like a short it's a it's a short piece but it is I think a very fitting presence. Yeah, no. Yeah. He, in spite of all of the the weirdness that having an octopus as a dad brings <laughs> to one's life, he still has. The goal is to be the dad, not the octopus. Yeah, I would say. <laughs> the, the talk is Rather, tough. Yeah. <laughs> the, the talk they will be giving is going to be difficult. Yeah. To say, but yeah. yeah. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Definitely would not have thought about this. Um, <laughs> one that I don't think they. Uh, this is going to be a deep cut, but one that I think you'll totally agree with is Dr. Tetsuo Kusakabi. You know who I'm referring to? No. My neighbor Totoro. Oh. The father. Like literally just a a dime of a father. (laughs) He is, he has two kids and his wife is hospitalized. So he's basically forced to at least day to day live like the single fatherhood kind of lifestyle. And he's a busy guy in and of its own right, but still finds a way to like be completely attentive to the kids. And he's like, he's not like letting the, the situation like bring him down. He's like an optimistic humor filled kind of character and i think more than anything is his like his willingness to be like involved in like the the fantasy kind of world that is his like younger daughter is kind of experiencing and he's not trying to he has this like extremely serious other like half of his life that is like could make somebody completely pessimistic but he's still like right there allowing the children to kind of achieve like this this like fantasy kind of world and live in a happy kind of area while they're dealing with like this extremely traumatic life experience and he is just 
just in, like I think in in general the Studio Ghibli films are known for having like pretty strong like parents and parent like based characters except for Spirited Away. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um <laughs> but this guy is just he's he's a beast. Absolutely love him. Yeah. yeah. Just a bang up dude. Just a swell guy. Mm-hmm. My number 3 is Ant-Man. Nice. Yeah. Ant-Man from Marvel. Mm-hmm. Uh he's he's just kind of like a a swell dude. Like he he builds this entire contraption inside of his house like this is for Ant-Man 2 mm-hmm. I believe uh, when he has like a parole bracelet and uh, he has it on his on his ankle alright sorry about that guys we had a bit of a technical mishap um, but what I was saying was uh, my number three is Ant-Man from Marvel. He had a whole moment in... Specifically the movies. Yeah, specifically those movies. Um, like Ant-Man 1, Ant-Man 2. Because in, you know, Endgame and stuff, he isn't really shown as a father figure, more so a plot device. Um, but in Ant-Man 1, he kind of pulls like a... This, and this is a deep cut. Uh, Sandman from Spider-Man 3 kind of thing where he gets out of jail and manages to get and talk to his talk to his kid and have a whole moment with her but he but he's he doesn't break out he doesn't break out yeah he he just gets out um but that's like his main goal going out of it and uh you know his relationship with his daughter is actually very wholesome and like i'll say ant-man one not my not my favorite marvel movie i don't think it's really anybody's like it could be but um the the concept like of the of that whole movie it's just kind of a little bit samey to iron man in a way uh rich dude same suit you know same technology all that business Mm -hmm. uh in ant-man 2 it's even shown a bit better how good of a dad he is Mm -hmm. where he like even not necessarily brings her on like he knows not to bring her on these missions or anything but like Gives her a little bit of like, hey, by the way, like this thing can make me huge. Mm-hmm. Oh wow, that's so that's so sweet. Oh, you're you're so cool as a dad, man. She gets the giant ant as a pet. Yeah, that which is, which is a nightmare. That's crazy, but she enjoys it. So I guess he's just given what his daughter wants, and you know he's he had like that's just such a wholesome moment at the very start where he builds like the entire slide mm-hmm. mechanism throughout the house and they go on it and then his his foot ends up outside the door and they get talked yeah. to by the police, but. It's a good moment, and out of all the... I thought a lot about Marvel in this, because that's, like, the main franchise that I can, like, remember when I think of movies. I looked through, like, most of them, and I was like, man, no, yeah, that's, like, probably the best father I could think of in Marvel. But you may have something to combat that. So, that's my number three. Uh, yeah, my number two, not Marvel, but still under that Disney umbrella that owns everything that we know. Um, Marlon from Finding Nemo. Oh, I mean, it's a father based movie. And I think like at the beginning, it is like kind of the the same thing with like that we talked about with like Joel and and Ellie. It's like he seems to be more focused and rightfully so. He seems to be more focused on making sure Nemo is alive than has a life is kind of like the the main problem um, after like the just downright horrific instance that this movie starts off with for a child's movie. Absolutely Um, brutal. But then as after Nemo gets, like, taken and is, like, forced to live this, like... Spoilers. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. spoilers for the movie from, like, <laughs> 2000. Um, 
yeah, he slowly learns that that Nemo does need to be able to live his own life while also continues to be the number one force that is focused on making sure that he is protected. Yeah. And after they find Nemo, spoilers. Yeah. Uh, they, it's a good like. They have, like, the whole interaction that's just so... It, it flip-flops what it is at the start of the movie and mm-hmm. shows how each character's grown. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, and he, even he, as, like, a father figure, learns from his, like, from his son that he needs to be, like, more willing to live, like, in his own way. And he... Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I know, like, as a fish, you might not want to interact with sharks on a regular basis, <laughs> but, like, it does, like, lead to a moment, at least in the, the film's, like, fantasy world, that is wholesome and a little horrifying, but still fun. And, uh, yeah, he kind of gets pushed out of, like, his own, like, comfort zone while also allowing his son to, like, expand on his own, like, values and stuff. Now, what I really like about this movie is that it shows juxtaposition. Uh, it, it shows that Marlon, uh, he goes through this whole journey meeting all these different kinds of fish. He even meets the shark, mm-hmm. the shark at one point, who has the notoriously famous line of, I never knew my father, and it's so sad, so tragic. So, yeah, yeah, so uh, bottom of our list is the shark's dad. Yes, exactly. Definitely. We should have done also a top five worst dads. Top five worst dads. Yeah, I think something that isn't capitalized on enough is that a big part of being a father, I think with all my experience Mm -hmm. of being a dad, um, I think that a huge part of it is that you should be able to, like, learn both ways, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, I I think that's a, that's a very noble thing. Like, countless times, like, with my own dad, like, he's, he's told me, like, you know, my dad's come out of his shit, which, if my dad ever listens to this, hi, dad, um, but, you know, he says that he's broken out of his own shell on a couple accounts where he's, like, gone out and he did karaoke and my mom sent a video of it, of him doing it, and I laughed a little, but then my mom said he went out there and did that because he knows that his boy is into theater and everything and he said if he can do it i can do it and i think that's a really cool thing you know like that parents can learn Mm -hmm. from their children just as much as children can learn from their parents yeah um so yeah uh following that wholesome thing uh carrying on the animated movie segment uh my number two is bob parr from incredibles one and two Mm mm-hmm more in two, actually, than one. Like, he's good dad and kind of both, but more in two than the first mm-hmm. one. Um, he, he becomes a better dad by the end of one and mm-hmm. then stays a good dad throughout. Uh, it, it's the first movie that I've seen that tackles, like, uh, like a, a, a swapped kind of norm, I guess, in a sense, with how the parents, like, structure normally is. Where it's like the dad has to like is the one staying home and everything, mm-hmm. and you know it's it it tackles it very well, and the idea that like the envy can be there, but it's it's a very good balance and shows that like it's not a bad thing to be a stay at home parent, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but it's it's so wholesome generally to see like that's just mainly what these dads are that we're naming is mainly wholesome except for like. Joel mm-hmm. and Ethan extremely um, hardcore <laughs> just badass dads mm-hmm. uh, but Bob you know he's he's the kind of dad that like kind of jabs at you and jokes around and he's like a very very nuclear father I think um, where he would just like man you must have been booking it how fast do you think you were going like mm-hmm. talking to Dash and he doesn't know a whole lot about relationships so he didn't have much to say with Violet but I think that, like, I've rewatched those movies a lot. They're probably my favorite Pixar movie. Um, mm-hmm. 
but I think that Bob is like just generally a great great parent. He just wants the kids to be able to use their full potential and what they were born with. Meanwhile, um, oh, what's the mother's name? Uh, I mean, not Elastigirl, but I can't remember her actually. Yeah, I can't remember either. Well, apologies, but Elastigirl, uh, in, in the meantime, is kind of more the parent that's like, we want you to be safe, we want you to be out of trouble, and the best way to do that is to submerge your powers. Both great ways of thinking about it, but for both of them, it, it's it's like they both have their own benefits. And I personally sided with Bob a bit more because it's just, it's cool. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Use your powers if you're, as long as you don't get caught. That's the kind of fathership that he had. So that's my number two. Yeah. Um, and then we'll just, we, we can do a little bit of, I mean, I have just so many honorable mentions because there are just a ton of different characters that potentially could be included here. Mm-hmm. Um, you said that your... Um, your best MCU father yeah. was Ant-Man. Uh-huh. I would say well, another good one is Yondu, who is extremely flawed, oh, but he is yeah, just yeah, a... You're right. I mean, that whole movie is just about fatherhood, mm-hmm. and more than that, like, re- replacements for, like, a absentee kind of father situation. Um, and he obviously has the incredible line, he may be your father, but he ain't your daddy boy. Like, it's that kind of sums up the movie in, like, a lot of ways. I also think that um, Tony Stark in the MCU is painted as, like, a great father figure. See, I thought about Tony. Mm-hmm. I thought about him for a second. But then I was, like, he was only a good dad, like, mainly after he lost someone. That was kind of how I saw it, was that after Peter, like, died. Spoilers. Uh, yeah. If you guys didn't pick up on that from the entire meme. It was like he he had the thing where he was like, now if you die, I think that's on me. But I, I don't think that that fully set into him until after Peter died. You know, I, don't know. That's I think how I, I, I think coming from the guy who's the number one Iron Man three fan, yeah. his relationship with Harley is just is another like kind of fill in kind of father moment. Now they don't like interact nearly as much, and he, I mean, he's pretty much like after he just drives away in the car, it doesn't show up until the funeral and Endgame. Um, but he still has like that kind of like playful playful kind of personality with him where he is i mean i I bet harley like he definitely has a father it's just he's no wait he he did leave and go to get smoked or something Mm -hmm. like that kind of thing that um, tony makes a joke about but um he has like this playful slightly antagonistic relationship with him where he messes around but also teaches him lessons about the world and i think most of his flaws as a father just comes from the fact that um, until things really hit the fan, he doesn't take things like too terribly seriously, except for like behind closed doors where he's making a hundred different Iron Man suits and making sure everything's gonna like go his way in case the world ends again. I think in that, and then at the end with uh, Morgan, the infamous "I love you 3000 kind of thing that he's got going. Um, I think he is a is a good father figure in the in the realm. Um, two kind of similar characters would be Walter White from Breaking Bad and Marty Bird from Ozark. I compare those two shows a lot. Um, basically, Walter White obviously diagnosed with cancer. Um, and then to all all of this is to make money for his family to survive. Without him, he starts making meth and selling it. And I think that throughout the, throughout the um, series, he does have like a lot of bad father moments, obviously. Um, but I think in the end, like everything he does is kind of like for his family. And it's important that that's, like, recognized even though he is doing a terrible thing. Um, same with Marty Bird, who is also, um, he is, like, um, laundering 
money for a drug cartel in order to make money for his family to protect them um, and to give them like all this nice amenities that they're used to. It's kind of like a similar relationship, but they both do it kind of in a way that isn't necessarily great. Um, and then just uh, another one, uh, the other uh, video game character that came to mind when I thought of this was Kratos from the most recent God of War game. Um, it's it's just a really interesting kind of relationship where you see him, like, you obviously, it starts off the game where he is just now realizing that he's going to have to be this, like, single father kind of character. And you notice that the relationship is, like, so distinct and so objective that he doesn't even call his son Atreus. He just calls him boy all the time. But as, like, they, they move along together and they learn these lessons together, um, he kind of proves that he is, like, this strong kind of father who can um, teach the, the son what he needs to know in order to survive. And it's him balancing, like, keeping the son safe while also teaching him how to be uh, the, the warrior that he is, like, kind of destined to be since he's the son of Kratos. So, yeah, those are just a couple of the extras that I had. Yeah. Some of my honorable mentions include, um, uh, like, most of Fantasy High's, uh, like, parental cast uh, beyond the elven father that I don't know mm-hmm. the name of. Um, Gorfalax the Insatiable, who's a surprisingly good and well, well-behaved demon father. Mm-hmm. Just great stand-up guy. Uh, and then we got, well, Galir's not a great dad, but, you know, um, Riz's dad, uh, just very good father. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Gorgug's dad were around, <laughs> yeah, maybe, but uh, probably one of the best ones I know of is uh, Digby, mm-hmm. which is Gorgug's like adoptive father mm-hmm. who just gives great advice all the time and still doesn't, like, he's super nice, very good guy. Uh, doesn't take, like, any trash from anybody. Mm-hmm. Like, still, they're they're dope. They're yeah. great. Uh, also, on top of that, from one of my favorite cartoons ever, uh, Mung Dahl. I think he was a pretty good father mm-hmm. figure. Uh, he just... From Chowder. Yeah, from Chowder. He's a super, super kind guy. He's a little bit uh, mind in the gutters. And you wish he wasn't, mm-hmm. but he's he's still a very... Like, he's a great master to him and teaches him a lot of great lessons Mm -hmm. and teaches the audience a lot of great lessons, um, even if they are a little bit backhanded and he doesn't do them correctly. Uh, And then, yeah, I mean, Nathan Drake was another one that I thought about for a second, Mm -hmm. but then I realized that, oh, geez, oh, no, he's, um, (laughs) he kind of, like, left his family behind for a bit in the last one. Yeah, he's a, he's only a father in the fourth game. Right? Yeah, he, so... They and, have their kid, like... I, I haven't really played through him in a long time, but mm-hmm. I think that the kid only becomes a character in, like, the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, even, like, Soli, I guess, in those games is kind of Nathan Drake's yeah, father he's figure. Yeah, pretty solid figure, um, too. I think one that we at least need to mention, because I, I don't think he's your... I mean, he could be, because he is, like, up there. Um, I kind of... kind of swayed between putting um, this guy and... Um, uh, Marlin on like towards the list, but uh, Mufasa from Lion King is mm-hmm. he's a he's a great character. Mm-hmm. But I don't like he teaches like a lot of lessons at, at the very beginning of the story. But I just don't think we really get enough time with him for him to really. I think the story is more about um, Simba and like his own personal story than it is 
that. But I mean, I think that's definitely one that people would bring up if we didn't mention him at least because he is mm-hmm. an infamous kind of father. So, yeah. yeah. Actual number one now. Yeah. Are, are we hitting the joke? Number one, my dad. Yeah, no, our dad. No, just kidding. I mean, they're <laughs> they're great, but they haven't been in any movies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the the number one, and this this isn't. You got this in the movies. You got this in the comics. You got this just everybody who's ever heard the saying, um, with great power comes great responsibility, Uncle Ben. He's the number, he's the definitive father figure who isn't even a father. I mean, what he's the, the catalyst for creating one of the most like noble superheroes that there is in the, the Marvel comics. And it's he's like, like one of the most beloved superheroes, I think. Like, I think he's Spider-Man? number one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's like he beats out Batman and Superman. Yeah. And like even beyond that, like he's, he seems to fight with like the, the least kind of like selfish intentions and all of like all of what spider-man does is just based in the lessons that he learned from his uncle ben Mm -hmm. and um i think like a i think even um peter doesn't realize how great of a figure he was until it's kind of like you don't know what you got until it's gone um when he's like killed by um the the robber or whatever it ends up being in the movies where i don't even they kind of take it back and forth a couple times but i mean I, i think he is like the the infamous he's like what yondu was kind of like telling like this the story about like the the character that isn't your father but is your like actual like the person you look up to in that way he is like the ultimate character there Mm -hmm. and i mean peter even had like good parents before they were lost but he's just the ultimate guy to teach the lessons and i don't know he like besides my actual dad with comics and movies and all that kind of stuff he's like the ultimate father figure that i think of for lessons and morals and that kind of stuff yeah I, my number one is a bit of a, like, sort of deep cut, and one that I don't think a lot of people would expect. Uh, I just kind of went after some ones that, like, would be less expected, uh, because, you know, Uncle Ben is a fantastic father figure. Uh, but I went for Sojiro Sakura from Persona 5, because I just recently reached his whole character study in that game, and... You're, you're free to, like, skip forward if you haven't played it, but or, or if you plan on playing it. But basically, Sojiro is the father of Futaba, who is a, a bit of a shut-in because she believes that she is the cause of uh, her mother's suicide, which is a whole subject there. But uh, it's, like, tampered with her very heavily. And he is convicted of of doing like child abuse to her which in no way at all would he be the type of person to do that but essentially he has for the past several several years been taking care of her as best as he can and bringing in as much money as he can in 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 the cafe that he runs uh and just like quietly bringing her up because he doesn't he doesn't fully know yet how like he has no way of getting her out of her shell but is doing everything he can to make her want to live and it's a very, it was a very touching story that I got to unravel, and uh, it, it just felt very, very heavy, I guess, in the way that it was done. Um, and it just like kind of really hit me pretty hard, the entire concept of like how he is just a very caring father that is a little bit misunderstood at times, and he's also a great father figure to the main character beyond just uh, Futaba. Um, 
he takes in this delinquent from across the borders and uh, lets him in and uh, raises him up and lets him use the top uh, the the top room in his cafe to stay in. Uh, and over time, he becomes more open to him and lets him like come on these little trips with them to go eat out. And eventually, when Futaba is released from the, the the shackles that are binding her, he becomes an even better father because he's like bringing her out to all these places that she may not have been to, but doing it very slowly. It's a very healthy relationship, I think. So he's a great father figure. I, I can talk him from town to shop about all day. So yep. that's that's my number one. Um, and uh, so happy Father's Day, everybody out there. Uh, and, you know, I, I guess we can go on to some movies that we've watched. Either like four days late or 360 days early. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, up, it's up for it's, you to decide. Same either way. But um, we've been watching some movies while we're here uh, at the, the dog-sitting location, which is a rather... It, it's a little bit of a, of a spooky area, in my opinion. Um, it's... Because we're taking care of a couple different houses at once. So when we would go to the house across the way, uh, it's very dark and very covered in foliage so any random serial killer could jump out of these churches so i'm very glad that it's the two of us taking care of these houses than just one of us mm-hmm. um so we've been watching scary movies scary being a bit of a interesting choice of words i think mm-hmm. uh but mainly like suspenseful ones we watched a movie that is is now like in my top 10 favorite movies that is absolutely bonkers. Isn't it? That is nonsense. Isn't it? <laughs> that actually is just absurd. It's so good though. Like I was very, I was thoroughly entertained the whole way through it. The Babysitter is now in my top ten favorite movies. That is absolutely. <laughs> it's at least a little recency bias. It's. Do not go into this expecting a good movie. It's like. It's a dumb and bad movie. I mean, yeah. If anything, I mean, it's so bad it's good, but I don't know. It is just absurd, and it's... I adore it. Steve, if you're listening, it's got that same, like, I love this movie because it's kind of bad kind of vibe, similar to Killer Clowns, you know? Yeah. It's, it's got funny one-liners, and I think the the direction is kind of interesting. It's directed by Mick G, I think. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of, like, stylized editing in it, but... Top top ten is just top ten absolute is absurd nonsense. Yeah, yeah. That means it beats out several Marvel movies. Yeah. Several. Uh, no, more than that. You just haven't seen like nearly enough movies. I don't watch good movies. Yeah, I just don't do that. That's not my thing. Yeah, that's your thing. Um, it's everybody's. Most. People's <laughs> that's thing. most people's thing. Yeah, but my number one favorite movie now is In the Tall Grass. Oh wow. Yeah. We, we're just gonna babysitter just no. just watch it it's on netflix yeah. yeah uh but it is it is a great movie babysitter is is a fun jaunt in my opinion um like he said don't go into it expecting a good movie but it's like it's it's very funny to me i laughed out loud yeah. several times there, there are funny parts and mm-hmm. the characters so, are cool and a, a very surprising uh addition to this movie that i did not expect to be so welcomed and and well well received on my end is King Bach, mm-hmm. the Vine Star King Bach. Yeah, uh, he's yeah. pretty funny. He does a good job in it. But um, yeah, In the Tall Grass was another movie that we watched, uh, which is just a very. We don't watch a lot of actually scary movies. We watch 
dumb ones that like have garbage jump scares mm. sometimes. Uh, mainly just like ones that can be considered like thrillers. Yeah. Like signs level horror, you know? Yeah. This um, one, like, okay, before it even got to the end with the credits, you can you can feel that this is a Stephen King movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one, yeah, it was co-written by Stephen King and his son. And yeah, you just... There are good Stephen King movies. There are good Stephen King books. But this guy pumps out like two or three books a year or something like that for the past like 30 years or something like that. So there's there's a lot of wells to be drawn from and they will make a movie on any of them because he's like kind of got that name. And yeah, so this one essentially is... it's. These people are driving uh, past this cornfield and they hear um, this kid yelling like, hey, I'm lost, can you come help me? And they go in and then they realize that the tall, like the grass doesn't like have a, a real way to maneuver through it. Like you get like randomly like teleported around so they, they can't find their way out. And it kind of um, branches off from there into what exactly is going on. It doesn't really make sense. Um, I think there's a lot to be left up to the the viewer's interpretation but uh yeah there's some weird time travel stuff going on and um we got a bad dad in here for sure one extremely bad dad dad. uh, played by patrick wilson who's a great actor but a not a i mean he's not a bad dad i'm not saying that but his character not a good dad Mm -mm. no no Um, no it's just flesh yeah it's a disturbing scene very brutal scene um that's not even the most brutal scene yeah uh, Gosh. it's absolute, like, I, like, there is one, there's a couple scenes where, like, the actual, like, image on screen is just disgusting and, and gruesome, but there's one specific scene where what is suggested that happens, you don't see it, but what is suggested that happens is just truly nightmarish and is absurdly Stephen King. Um, it is very, but that one, very visceral. Not, not fun to watch. Also, literally, if you do watch it, you have to go into your TV settings and crank up the brightness to like 300% to actually see anything that's going on. Yeah. It is such raise, a dark movie. It is insane. It is insane. Like you can't see anything in it. We were watching it at nighttime. Yeah. And just no, there is nothing going on on screen. It, for it really like, like we turned it off. I feel like it's, it's kind of dumb actually that so many like horror directors rely so much on darkness. This movie could it would work just as well if it if the entire thing happened or like at least a long portion of it happened in the daytime yeah it would be like just as scary because everything is around them is still obscured by like tall grass so you could still have people jumping out of there that you can't see um with just like any amount of sunshine but instead they just decide to make it pitch black the entire time and it's like more of a podcast than a movie yeah yeah it's insane (laughs) the way you put it was like they did the same thing with the other stephen king movie um uh, Midsummer. That's not a Stephen King movie. Oh, it isn't. Yeah. Never mind. It's not. Uh, it's, well, they they did something similar to that, and that's also a horror movie. Well, uh, the the cat just jumped on the table. Yeah, and that doesn't uh, happen too often. Surprise! <laughs> surprise! Um, the cat is here. I guess the way I compared it to Midsummer is the fact I, that's an Ari Aster original movie, but that one is in daytime basically the entire time, and still, and it's still horrifying. Mm-hmm. Way scarier. Way more effective. Way. This is, I mean, this might be controversial. It's way better. I mean, not controversial as opposed to this, but the fact that I think it's a good movie is, that's one where you you give and you take, but I think it is a solid movie. Um, but yeah, it, people need to learn from that. You can have a scary movie that happens in the day. Yeah. So it, to it, all, it just works. All the directors that are listening to this, uh, make, make a, make a bright horror movie. Yeah. Make one that's just like, 
sunshine whole way through. Yeah. Do it. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what happens in Midsummer. Like, it's bright like 90% of the movie. And, mm-hmm. um, it, it's still horrifying. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that's... I also, uh, finally, um, I weaseled you a little bit into watching the majority of Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. So we did. did watch a good movie. To uh, my... To my dismay. Do you have any opinions on Inglorious Bastards? Mm. I don't know. Like I said, I don't watch good movies, so it's like my body was rejecting it. No. Um, yeah, I, I watched uh, some portions of it. I like. I, I mentioned how my ADD, like, I gotta be doing something else most of the time when I'm watching a, a good film because there's nothing to riff. Um, but with that movie, I thought that it was like a very, it was a very compelling story. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of moments where it was mainly conversation. I, I have like the the mental like viewing taste buds of like a toddler. I need something that's just like not not all like conversation, I guess, most of the time. And I need like pow pow colors, bright things. Which is t- ironic given that we played D and D. Yeah, which is mainly conversation. But um you know, it was it was a great movie. I think the ending was very good. Uh, I got to finally see the scene of say a fetus Zane to your Nazi balls. Absolute classic. Great line. And uh, you know, Yudovich, I think this just might be my masterpiece. Another <laughs> incredible one. Great line. Um, um, I like one top five that I think would be interesting for us to do is like top five openings, just whether like it be movies. Oh yeah. You didn't see this, but literally, I, I've seen this movie just it, over ten times at least, and literally, probably. Spoilers, if we ever do that list, is the number one best opening scene in a movie I've ever seen is Glorious Bastards. It is absolutely, like this, totally in daytime, borderline horror is like, the way that he works with this is just absolutely terrifying in like how things slowly get revealed. Um, basically, the the setup is that, um, obviously, Glorious Bastards is about a group of Jewish um, American soldiers who go around um, hunting Nazis during World War II, and the beginning of this movie, um, the kind of the the main villain who is one of the um, head SS soldiers who's um, tasked with eliminating all of the Jewish people in France, um, meets like goes to this one small house on this hill and talks to this guy who he believes to be harboring Jewish people, uh, Jewish family, who he is, and it's kind of just this simple like conversation. They sit in there and. It's absolutely, like, brilliant. And, like, I know a lot of people... It's it's kind of sad, because I know a lot of people who don't love Tarantino, who when you hear his name, they just think about, like, all the, the bloody and, like, the disgusting, like, gore that he does. And he does do that, I'm not gonna lie. But this dude, like, anybody who, like, really, like, knows him as a director, 100%, his best aspect is his dialogue. Like, this dude is maybe in, like, the best dialogue writer that's alive right now. It's insanely good. Yeah. And it's, like, never better than at the beginning of the scene. It's insane. Yeah. I'd be interested to do that. What if we did, like, season three, and we did first episode, top five openings, then final episode of... True. Yeah, Yeah. we could do that. Yeah. Top five endings would be harder. Yeah, that would be difficult. Um, but yeah, uh, recommendations? You go first. All right. Mine is, uh, you know, for, this is to insinuate as though we are more popular than these people. We're just not. Uh, but if you guys are interested in listening to a duo that is similar to us, but they do like videos and are, you know, more brave than us, 
where we just riff horror movies, Higher they budget. go straight into it. Uh, BuzzFeed Unsolved does some crazy stuff. Uh, yeah. They're just very good entertainment. Uh, we were watching a bunch of their videos last night, uh, and Jack gave them the praise of, this is very addicting. So... Yeah. highly recommend uh, they do like they talk about like unsolved mysteries basically most of their time we watched an episode about like a collar bomb thing that was just brutal nobody deserves to be collar bombed ever that might be a hot take to some people the but story just, like, of uh, evil genius if you have seen that on Netflix yeah, yeah. Uh, so straight up morals real, real quick I'm gonna lay it down flat don't put a collar bomb on people's necks no. fellas just don't it's a good good idea, generally. I think, like, honestly, these guys, like, the BuzzFeed Unsolved guys are obviously super popular, mm-hmm. and all their videos get, like, a ton of views. I think if they did not have BuzzFeed in their name, they would be, like, in the stratosphere. Yeah. Like, 100%. Like, if they could, like, pivot off of that. Like, BuzzFeed just has, like, such a negative, like, press associated yeah. with it. They these are guys single-handedly are holding up BuzzFeed, I think, right now. Um, moving on to your recommendation. <clears throat> my number one, or not number one, my recommendation is... The Watchmen TV show, which HBO recently made um, available for, to everyone for free. And I think aside from like blind spotting, this would be like number one requ- required viewing for me, like in this current like um, political sphere that we're in. It's absolutely like insane how. So it opens up again as something else that honestly would be in the top five openings. Um, it opens up on the like recreated footage of the Tulsa um like Wall uh, Black Wall Street bombings from like the 1920s and it's just insane that like this was the first I'd ever heard of the Black Wall Street like bombs like I the fact that we were not taught in school that um there was like this town in Tulsa I guess Tulsa itself had like this section of like um stores that was run by um successful like black like owners of businesses and the fact that we weren't taught that they were attacked by like white like supremacist people and literally bombed in America is insane. The fact that I had to learn that from a superhero TV show is nuts. But the way that they build off of that and let it like flow into a story about like generational trauma and like the idea of like the obviously core idea of Watchmen is like who will watch the Watchmen and um, about like police brutality in like a lot of ways and um, I don't know, all in a superhero story that's completely, like, digestible by, like, the modern audience who's just being taught to, like, eat those stories, like, right up. It's insanely good, um, and I will watch anything that Damon Lindelof makes, because that guy is an absolute genius. He is one of the best out there right now, and, yeah, this, this, this show is incredible. It's, uh, made free right now. I don't know where you can find it specifically, but HBO did, uh, officially, like, release it, because it is, like, such an important kind of thematically thing to watch during this time, so, yeah, it's fantastic. Cool, cool. Well, uh, that concludes our Father's Day episode. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. Tune in next week. Uh, We'll have another top five for you guys. We don't know what yet, but it will be. So uh, see you guys then. Later.